It's a great pleasure to welcome you all to this Mitchell Institute conversation, part of a podcast series created at the Senator George J. Mitchell Institute for Global Peace, Security and Justice here at Queen's University, Belfast. I'm Richard English, Director of the Institute, and for today's conversation, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Katie Hayward, Professor of Political Sociology at Queen's University, Belfast, and author of the book, What Do We Know and What Should We Do About the Irish Border, published this year. Katie, early in your book, you suggest that, quote, contemporary discussion of the Irish border is rarely about the border per se, but about the legitimacy or otherwise of unionism in Ireland. Can you elaborate, please, for people on that point? Yes, hello, Richard. It's good to be here and talking about this book with you. Um, so essentially, uh, the, the structure of the book is set by the SAGE series itself, which is a really good um, idea. I think it covers all sorts of different topics of relevance. And so as part of that structure, you have to talk about the background and then what do we know about and what should we do about. So um, I immediately, in getting the contract for this, um, pleaded for us to have double the space to talk about the background, um, the history of the Irish border. And so when you begin to obviously consider that, you can't help but um, consider the position of unionists. And one point I really wanted to get through in the book is that it's the sense of belonging to the island of Ireland, a sense of groundedness in the territory of Ireland, and of course the history of unionist um, um, engagement with um, society and culture in Northern Ireland and, and on the island of Ireland contribution to that. Um, that is really important to understand before we then get into the um, question of the contemporary Irish border, and indeed Irish borders today. Um, so part of the book is very much about trying to appreciate, I think, um, the position of the unionists and unionism on the island of Ireland and connect it to the territory of the island of Ireland. And then in any conversation about what do we know about the Irish border and what should we do about it to bring unionism there to the very forefront of it. One of the things which is sometimes assumed by observers of Ireland and its border and of the relation between nationalism and unionism is a sense of inevitability about what happens in the future. But one of the things that comes very strongly through this book is the role of contingency rather than inevitability in the politics and developments about the border. I mean, you comment in the book that, quote, it would be foolish of us now to imagine that there's anything inevitable about the future of the Irish border. Now, that insight is not one that everyone's going to welcome when we're in discussion about what happens in the future. Could you comment, though, on its implications, the implications of contingency rather than inevitability or teleology in terms of the future relating to the border, to nationalism and unionism? I don't think, I mean, as a social scientist or as an historian, that anybody could imagine that anything is inevitable, particularly when it comes to something that is um, social or socially constructed. So this is a really important point to understand vis-a-vis -vis borders themselves, i.e. that there's nothing really natural about them when we're talking about states. And indeed, of course, you know, referring back to the background and um, the origins and the different narratives of the origins, if you like, of the Irish border, the whole point of that is that it's constructed through human behaviour. Um, and part of, obviously, our understanding of an experience of borders today, part of that's around formal statehood um, procedures and things that are associated with trade and economics, but it's also around their 
construction in imagination. And in so doing, that very much involves um, identity, and in identity we're talking about relationship with other people. And so to speak, in that, in those various layers of what borders mean, we have the point that they are socially constructed and experienced, and therefore there's nothing inevitable about them, because there are so many moving parts, if you like. And one thing that is very clear is that in some ways, you know, the, the unimaginable, certainly the unforeseen could come to pass. We know that in Brexit now. And similarly too, there's a tendency to talk about the Irish border in a way that assumes that um, there's a natural trajectory to things, and I really don't think there is. Um, and indeed, you know, even if we imagine, if we consider how the border came into being, um, and indeed how it's changed over the course of the century, we see there various um, elements of contingency and, and the unexpected happening, and indeed it's hardening and it's softening over time, being things that we couldn't have predicted. So I would stand over the point that nothing is inevitable about it, and indeed I think our consideration of its future would be enhanced if we could bear that in mind. And it probably helps achieve greater dialogue and inclusivity of dialogue if there's not a presumed definite end point when you begin those discussions, presumably? Yes, absolutely. And um, I mean, I'm very conscious in all of this, and you'd expect me to be so as someone who's worked so closely on the topic of European integration and now Brexit. Um, it's those, those, those conversations that um, are changed now. Um, and so um, the management of diversity and different expectations around the future of communities and jurisdictions on the island of Ireland, they, they seem much more in flux than they did before in the context of the EU. Um, but yes, that's not to say there's anything inevitable about the outcome of it, not least because the UK is changing, the Republic of Ireland is changing, um, the EU is changing, the wider global environment is changing, and so um, we would hope that so too, the experience of statehood um, and indeed of borders will change as well. So, um, which goes back to the original point around unionism. And I say at the end of the book, you know, unionism as a political ambition doesn't make much sense if you have a united Ireland, right? Uh, nonetheless, the people who hold very strong unionist identities, British identities, but of course continue to be here. So this is this, this is why um, taking out from these discussions the idea of something being inevitable, um, certainly the idea of something becoming more homogenous or as a, a natural representation towards a recognition of complexity is, is, is only a good thing. And in terms of those communities to which you refer, Katie, for people in different parts of Ireland, clearly the border and its practical implications greatly vary. You comment at one point in the book on those people who effectively, quote, live cross-border lives. What do we know and what should we do about those people? So one, um, one of the sections in the book um, on um, what should we do um, recommends listening more closely to people living in the border region because they are living cross-border lives. Um, and I don't know if I'd go so far as some have gone to talk about the being like, you know, the, the, the 
border people being a distinct people, if you like, because obviously that cross-border experience is very varied depending on people's identities and sectors and the rural urban, etc., etc. Uh, but nonetheless, I think in those, as we see in other places, the sort of um, the point of living uh, across the experience of living cross-border life brings forward the limitations, if you like, of statehood and indeed the possibilities of um, of uh, new types of social and political identity. And this is partly through being at the periphery of um, of a state. And it it is, you know, it's, it's become very apparent through the whole Brexit process and indeed in relation to the pandemic as well, quite how um, the experience of people in the border region on both sides was different from those in the rest of, of Ireland. So, um, uh, you know, for in a funny way, people who talk a lot about the Irish border um, often don't consider enough the people who are having who are traversing it every day um, and who are having to uh, live in that kind of um, sort of liminal space, if you like. Um, and again, this is part of the joy of studying these things. So many interesting books, including fictional books, have been written in border regions for that very reason. And you mentioned earlier, Katie, that Brexit has significantly changed things. And one of the things you mentioned in the book towards the end is that Brexit's added, to use your word, friction uh, to the border question and to Northern Ireland. As one of the leading experts on the border and Brexit and the EU and Ireland and relationships that are involved in that, how best, in your view, can we avoid that polarised friction from becoming further exacerbated? So, in some ways, if you like, the, the point of Brexit is to add friction. I mean, it's almost inevitable, but, but it is, sorry, big about it is inevitable that Brexit means more friction because it's the opposite process, of, opposite to the process of integration, which is to reduce friction. Um, I'm talking in very practical terms around borders there. Uh, but of course, to go back to a previous point mentioned, borders are never just around the question of controls and checks, it's also very much around identities and um, uh, sense of commonality, etc. Um, and distinction. And it is very difficult to conceive of a post-Brexit um, uh, uh, post-Brexit Northern Ireland or post-Brexit Ireland of Ireland that doesn't contain more friction. Um, and I think the best we can hope for is to uh, manage those frictions in such a way that they don't become increasingly politicised and divisive. We're not seeing that at the moment. And, and, no, no, it's, it's the opposite at the moment, mm -hmm. if anything, it's becoming more aggravated, isn't it? But in, in your view, you've been a very prominent commentator on this, are there things that scholars, that universities, that academic work can significantly contribute to a more ironic process, to lessening the aggravation, to increasing the possibility of understanding and dialogue, or do we in unavoidably get caught up in the, the polarising side-taking? Um, well, one thing I've learned is that you can't really, you can be as careful as you like, but you can't uh, determine how somebody will interpret what you're saying, or misinterpret it if they will or by accident um, or by your own fault but not being clear enough. Um, 
So that doesn't, however, um, absolve us from the responsibility to try and put more information out there and, um, and to try and offer clarity um, where otherwise it wouldn't exist and indeed to offer evidence. Um, because I do believe, and this gets into deeper questions around academics and scholarship, but I do believe there is a place for facts and truth, because just as we see um, a lot of mistruths, um, not just on Brexit, around the question of the Irish border and Irish unity, etc. Um, and so there is definitely a place there for rigorous scholarship. Not to say that that can't be open to um, testing or indeed um, contesting, but uh, it's very important, I think, that universities make the most of their particular privileged place in society to try and illuminate where possible and in so doing to bring some information that can to some degree counter mistruths and indeed to counter, mis to counter fears and I think obviously a lot of the most dangerous elements of friction that can be added come with the exacerbation of fear. Katie Hayward's book, What Do We Know and What Should We Do About the Irish Border? It was published by Sage. It's a terrific book. I strongly recommend it to everyone. And for her insights today in this conversation, many thanks to Professor Katie Hayward. Thank you. Thanks very much, Richard.